is, is it in our purview to investigate the neurological and sociological effects of touch or lack thereof in um, Melissa Wright's sensory deprivation, but one could also imagine lack of medical touch, for example, in an in-person doctor's visit, would, would these considerations be of interest in the haptics community? So that's the first part. And the second part is what additional collaborations with other research communities would help in steering toward important research questions? Okay, that was, that was great. I, actually, I think Tanya already hit on the, the first part, you know, that the need for social touch um, and those in the con context of the pandemic. But um, um, I think we do want to have a deeper understanding of uh, where where touch is is, uh, is is a critical part of strengthening remote connections. Uh, you know, if it's if it's telehealth and it's an evaluative procedure, your physical exam, uh, or if it's you know caregiving, um, and um, and you know there's a need to provide um, uh, effective touch, emotional support, things of that nature to perhaps a, a relative who's who's distant, um, you know, and 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 I actually do think that's a pretty massive problem <laughs> in, in our society, the loneliness, if you will. Um, and it's not just the pandemic, although certainly it's highlighted it and made it worse. So I think we need to understand those things much better. Um, you know, I think like a lot of other people, I've found that hanging out with my distant family members over Zoom is, it goes a long way, um, but it's not the same as, as being there. And, and I don't know that that's about touch or not about touch, but um, I think we need to understand that more deeply than we do today. Um, and I think that does mean new types of collaborations that have not been traditional in our field. Um, uh, in, in the field of haptics, it's always been a very interdisciplinary field. And you know, you've had people from, <clears throat> You know, sort of, I'm a mechanical engineer, uh, electrical engineers, human computer interaction, but cognitive psychology has been incredibly important. Um, and neuroscience has been incredibly important. Um, I, I think that the social psychology aspects um, are underserved and, and need to be uh, need to be sort of better, better integrated. Um, and of course, the other exciting thing that's happening these days, of course, is bringing in people with, you know, chemistry and material sorts of backgrounds as well. So it's an incredibly, incredibly interdisciplinary field. But, uh, but I think that that social, um, social science direction is, is really important. Anybody and else want? Yep. I was just going to highlight the second part of the question, which I think is also interesting is who, what other communities do you reach out to? to collaborate with? And maybe this is a question that each of the panelists could answer like in your, in your research program, in your experience. Maybe. I guess I can help with that and, and bring my, my experience, which uh, not all of these collaborations have involved haptics, okay? So, but in general, human-robot interaction. And for me, uh, work with colleagues in a physical therapy department, for example, has been uh, very important, right? For rehabilitation robotics and the use of robots to study uh, the, the motor system and, and in part also the sensory system as well, right? So sensory motor neuroscience 
um, we I, we've had also collaboration with uh, you know people that are in kinesiology programs or like in basic uh, science programs and, and in psychology as well uh, for the perception of uh, body schema is a theme that is you know shared between engineers and and, and mostly uh, psychologists as well. So these are the uh, options that I can bring, like I can talk about for my experience, but I agree with, with Ed on the point of uh, social. It, it is different than just the, the cognitive psychologists. Uh, the, the social sciences uh, can offer additional insight that it has been under underlooked and undercovered so far. How about uh, Tanya, what um, collaborators on the uh, medical or biological side have you, um, have you found uh, to be particularly valuable in your research? Yeah, I guess mostly working with uh, surgeons in different specialties has been the important part for me because a lot of it is, as people have been saying, it's application dependent. So same thing, every type of surgery, whether it's vascular surgery or laparoscopic surgery is going to be different and they're going to have different needs in terms of um, what they need for their particular um, application area. So mostly people from the from the surgery department, but starting to try to work closer as well with people who uh, do a little bit more with the sensing side of things as well as we try to develop sensors for these types of robots. So kind of all over the place too. Mm -hmm. uh, Laura? So, I mean, I collaborate a lot with, with Charles. Uh, we are like at two different aspects of like the work on haptics. Like I make the materials and he, he does something with them. Uh, we also like, I guess, uh, in your group there, and we worked a lot with electrical engineers, psychologists, uh, probably forgetting a lot of our collaborators too, but it's a very, very interdisciplinary field. And you need, you need people from all sorts of backgrounds to make a cohesive story at the end. So in thinking about uh, uh, Marcy's question about is it a contact, contact mechanics issue or tissue mechanoreceptor response issue, uh, or do we need to get into more of the, the neural responses to these cues, one can imagine um, approaching this problem from multiple different biological length scales. So you have, you, you could imagine doing experiments on animals that have knocked out Pacinian corpuscles, for example. Uh, you could imagine working with people who are studying the, the brain under fMRI. You could imagine working with somebody who uh, is really only interested in, or not really only interested, but studies specifically the uh, perception and, and cognitive aspects without uh, necessarily reference to exactly what uh, action potentials are, uh, are arising and for from, and from where, um, so I think I think the depending on what question is being asked, the uh, to get back to Melissa's question, that affects um, what expertise we see on the you know on the on the biological side, biological, medical, cognitive science side. I think that's like one area where I would like to build more collaboration is on the neurology 
side of things, like understanding how our neurons and like our brain responds to those tactile signals that we're generating. Um, I think we're like Charles is doing a great job at like understanding the mechanical forces at tactile interfaces. But then there's like one step further. It's like the like between like when does the human inform its decision of like this is how I feel and this is what I'm feeling. You can you can formulate a verbal answer, but what happens in between the time that the surface is touched and us telling what we're feeling, there's like a whole world of possibilities. And I think that's where neuroscience probably will come in. And as I recall, there are some linguistic challenges as well for um, in your uh, paper on softness, there was some issue where there may have been different conception of softness depending on what the native language of the participant was. Yeah, which which makes it really interesting because now we can bring in people from linguistics as well, for like to study like those questions and like meaning. No, it's complicated enough. Just kidding. <laughs> so right, is it is it soft like a cat's fur, or is it soft like um, like jelly, <laughs> like like strawberry jam? Depends on who you ask and which country they're from. <laughs> okay, how about materials problems, materials challenges? So this is MRS, and uh, we we each interface with materials in some some way or another in our our research. What properties are we missing? Um, to either learn more about touch or to uh, recapitulate sensations that can't be made or to produce effects that can't be made using what's currently available. So in soft robotics, there are problems with um, non-linearities. Sometimes these are advantages, but sometimes they're problems. We have issues with uh, with slow uh, slowness due to viscoelastic effects in common elastomers. Um, are there equivalent challenges in, in, in haptics and how could a materials approach address some of these challenges? I think there's two definite ones that you can think about one kind of things we've touched upon one is the speed of actuation is always going to be a challenge um, whether that's for bulk motion or whether for some of these uh, more fine touch surface aspects that we're talking about so how can we create this with a high enough um, response so that uh, a user finds them convincing um, i think the other one is going to be layering multiple sensations um, so can you have one material adopt three configurations um, how are you going to, like, if you want to recreate multiple sensations, do you have to keep switching out the material you're touching? Um, so how can we combine these together? Um, what's the ideal material for this? Um, and it might not be, if I want one material to feel like glass and then to feel like acrylic, maybe I don't want to start with glass and I don't want to start with acrylic. So, so how, would I, how would I find the material that does both? Um, and under what regimes would it actually feel like glass and feel like acrylic? You know, will it be for only when I'm touching lightly? 
So we'll have to compensate for the way someone's touching by using either mechanical intervention um, or yet again, programming another material. Um, so I think identifying where we want to kind of <laughs> divvy out different types of challenges almost um, and what, which part of the device should handle different um, aspects of recreating fine touch. Um, I think those will be material challenges. I'd love to have a way of, <clears throat> we've, we've made a lot of progress modulating friction, but I'd like to be able to modulate it over a much broader range, much higher, much lower friction levels, and to be able to localize that effect and to be able to do it at almost no energy cost. <laughs> then we'd really have something. <clears throat> and I do think that's a materials challenge. May have something to do with electric fields too, but it's probably a materials challenge. <laughs> I I'll loop in um, since since Darren, I think your your question kind of um, subsumes one of the questions from uh, Yu Jun, uh, who I believe is in uh, Ben's lab. So this. He asks, um, how can material science help improve uh, integrated systems? He's referencing a publication from, from my team um, related to a electromechanical motor that provides squeeze and some fiber tactiles. But the way I'll redirect us to the panel is um, what you all are alluding to in terms of, um, I believe, Ed, you were starting to get to this as well, which is how do we get the local uh, action? So is there, in addition to energy, which you, you all talked about in the first hour, uh, are there questions that you all have about how do we increase the density of uh, localization, resolution, and so on? Like, what are the questions that you have regarding that? Can I see Laura nodding her head? So perhaps you can kick us off. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting question. I, I mentioned that a few times is like miniaturization. How do you make things like bits like at your fingertip if you're talking about fine touch? And it's hard. And so I think there is a lot of inspiration that can be taken from the lithography and from the electronics field. And so if we can make like electronically actuated materials, we can take all that knowledge from lithography and microelectronics and apply it uh, there. Like there's still a lot of materials challenges, but that, that's the field that we should keep in mind um, as, we, as we move forward, I think. And it's hard, like I, I'm taking like a lot of like ideas from like this panel, it's like, okay, what are some of the things like that are needed? Like what is the new chemistry that would be needed to enable uh, those technologies? So I'm more taking notes than, than participating at this point. Me too. This is a gold mine, actually. I'm so glad it's being recorded. I, I have a question. I mean, this miniaturization is, I think, just a, a huge problem um, and a really, a really important one. And and there's, I think you mentioned, Laura, this lithography and 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 I think that in the context of soft systems is certainly very important. Um, but we mentioned in the first hour the fact that a lot of things that we touch in the world are kind of hard. And so one of the things that I'm, I don't even have a, 
I can't even visualize is how we how we develop systems that that achieve this sort of miniaturization, but that that are can be controlled to emulate uh, you know things that range from the from the very soft to the very very hard. Um, and, I, and I think it's I think it's actually I, I may be wrong, but I, I think it might be important to actually accomplish that in in one system um, because we transition from soft to hard you know, very rapidly as we interact with things in the real world. And not in every context, you know, maybe, maybe a, a, a doctor doing a remote palpation doesn't, doesn't need that huge dynamic range. Uh, but I think in some contexts we do. And so anyway, I, how do you, how do you achieve this sort of miniaturization and large scale integration of, of uh, haptic actuators uh, in a system that can also display this really wide range of mechanical impedances from the soft to the hard. And I just, that just that just strikes me as such a hard problem. I mean, from a from a chemistry perspective, I think, like as I was saying, you can you can think about lithography technique, and so you can think about like printing with light, and light has an incredible like resolution. So you can if you can find the material, that has like the dynamic range that you would need to like go from hard to soft, um, addressing them electrically would be feasible to miniaturize then. And like to make them, you can think about lithography techniques to like pattern them and the resolution needed. And it doesn't have to be like the microprocessors that we're using now, like the first microprocessors were huge for <laughs> microprocessors. And so we can start bigger and miniaturize and develop the technology uh, from there. Then it may seem that. Oh, sorry, you were going to say something. Well, I, I'm. I guess I'm. Since we we talked a lot about energy and, and now comparing to microelectronics, so these are like very big questions as we see <laughs> the how important improving energy storage and how important Moore's law has been. So I suppose a question I have for the panelists how do we know we're making progress? Like, what are the things that you can point to in the past few decades and, and look forward to in the next few decades and say, okay, this is the vector. Like, I see, I see that we're, we're getting better. And what do you point to to say that we're getting better? I'm just I'm just envious of all of you. You did not want to enter the haptics field 30 years ago, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know, you you guys, I'm I'm excited for you. You've got um, I think some some really meaningful problems to work on and some very powerful tools to apply to them. Um, so, uh, uh, but yeah, it's a really great question. You just like, how do you know you're getting better? And 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 I to me, the way I know I'm getting better always is that the technology has developed sort of at some point down the road is, is, is being used is being used to solve problems in the world. And, um, and you know, that's, that's true. There's things we can point to in, in the field of haptics. Um, but it hasn't really, um, had the, the sort of impact, uh, that I think a lot of us expected 30 years ago. Um, you know, there's this, uh, famous, famous, uh, uh, video from Roland Johansson, one of the real titans of the field, a neuroscientist in Sweden who applied a ring block to, to, to 
three these three fingers of a, of a woman and asked her to strike a match and she just all with perfect motor control and perfect vision is not able to pick up and manipulate do the fine the fine manipulation necessary to grab that match and hold it and strike it eventually she manages but it's it's a painful thing to watch and and so you you begin to realize that oh my goodness touch um, haptics is so critical in in our lives as we live them in the physical world um <clears throat> thank goodness it's an incredibly robust sense that we don't you know individuals typically don't don't lose in the way they might lose sight or, or sound um because if you do lose it it's 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 kind of game over it's it's really really hard um so why then why then has it not become equally important in the digital world um and uh and I don't know the answer to that, but I find it really frustrating. <laughs> Hoping that Facebook can figure that one out. <laughs> Why is haptics so hard? Uh, is it a question of uh, distribution and the fact that it involves so many uh, parts of the body and systems, whereas sight and smell and taste are localized? Or is it something else? Taste might might also be really really hard. What what would you say? Uh, it seems like taste and smell are also very hard to digitize. <laughs> so. And they're nicely localized, right? <laughs> so uh, it's sort of tempting to blame the distribution of haptics being all over the body, but I'm I'm not sure that's the answer. I don't know. I. I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit, Yeet. I think vision, uh, we, we have a, a fairly good handle on how to recapitulate visu visual objects, at least. Taste and taste and smell, there, there's some good fake meat out there. It's not very programmable, but it's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not dynamically reconfigurable in the sense of a display, though. I I want I want to I want to ask the, the, the same question that um, to to the other panelists because um, I want to know like what what do you all look forward to in, in your research programs like what are you what do you think will be a major success um, Yeah, I mean I think that's that's a really deep question <laughs> like what is success um, I think one one of the ways, you know, at least we, we can pose maybe like progress in the field is we, we need some way to quantify haptics. I think that's a robust way. Um, so one of the things we did when we were doing the softness thing is we found this very quantitative relationship um, or as much as we can. But yes, like if something feels good or something feels bad, that is subjective. Um, but if you're taking a vision test and you can't see something or, um, you know, one thing is brighter than the other. Um, yes, there's a human component, but these are a little more quantifiable and objective. And so for people coming from a material science background or a physical science background, um, they may be a little scared of haptics because it does have such a human component. But there are more quantifiable measures. Um, so when I think about haptics, you can go back and think about how they first determined, you know, what's the resolution of touch? That's something people think about like, I need to make smaller and smaller displays so I can have higher and higher resolution. And I, I don't know if that's actually the main problem. So when you think about how they determine the resolution of touch, what they did is they took uh, metal fibers and they poked them at different distances on your body or on your fingertip. And some places are better, some places are worse. Um, but, but these metal 
fibers are not very, who's, who's administering the test? Uh, where is it on? How is it poking? Um, do, do you often poke yourself with metal fibers in everyday interactions? Um, <laughs> like, so are these really realistic to your everyday experiences? Um, so I think this kind of push for identifying this like fundamental components of touch um, is this idea of, yes, we can recreate this more. People are saying, you know, I, I break it down from a scale of one to 10, one, two, three, four, or is it 1.5 or 1.2, 1.1? Um, I think that's a way to at least measure some progress. And I think, you know, I, I, for me, personal success would be identifying like, let's say three, <laughs> three, three basic fundamental tactile sensations that you know, everyone more or less feels along a similar axis, um, provided, you know, we do the <laughs> language localization <laughs> properly and ask the right question. Um, and I, so you I would be... You want, an, you want an equation for softness, an equation for moisture, an equation for uh, thermal conductivity, which is probably the most theoretically tractable one, and and you want to dial in you with a material synthesis and be able to touch it and and predict where that person plus or minus some error is going to place it in this three-dimensional space right yeah and i think i think that would be great and then the fact that a next person comes in or the same person comes back in the second day um so i think without without that it would be really hard to know if you're improving um so that's why i think it's so important um but it, but it would be nice i mean Maybe it's possible, maybe it's not. Um, but I, I think it's a it's a place to gauge progress. So uh, I'm I agree with uh, with with Tanya that we've been uh, focusing mostly on cutaneous uh, uh, signals and less on kinesthetic ones. So I want to give uh, Tanya and Fabrizio a chance to comment on what does success look like in uh, say medical haptics, medical robotics, where uh, most of the, it, would, would it be fair to say that that the key interactions would be kinesthetic as opposed to, uh, to tactile or cutaneous? And then what does success look like? Oh, okay, so I'll, I'll try to start. And, and so I, I was thinking about each question and, uh, you know, uh, we've been talking a lot about energy and, uh, you know, has there been, uh, is there, has there been a vector of improvement? And I would say that on the standpoint of energy sources, I, I don't see that, at least not in devices that then make the use of like assistive devices. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there has been considerable improvement there. Um, but I do think that a metric of success there would be a device, an assistive device that you bring home that stays with you and that you would adopt in uh, uh, in, in everyday life. Uh, there is a lot of history of prostheses that are highly sophisticated that then uh, do not get used, used. And here we're talking about, you know, amputees. They, they really need, uh, you know, this additional, for example, hand or additional component of their body and the, the problem is uh, really uh, adoption and and uh, something that they feel as being an embodied ag agent part of their uh, motor plan right so that they, they want to use it so i do think that a metric of success will be uh, the assistive devices that then gets adopted and used you know on a daily basis by individuals 
And yeah, we're not there yet. I mean, I may be using a watch, a smartwatch, right? But uh, there's not a lot of mechanical action or kinesthetic feedback that that device uh, provides me. And I think in the realm of surgical robotics, I think just seeing haptics used at all would be a good metric of success. I think currently, you know, if you teleoperate, people often compensate by and just use vision, right, to figure out what they're interacting with. So I think even just seeing it used, people have gotten so good at using vision alone, but um, to use some, for, some force feedback, I think would, would be successful. Um, I think it's maybe as simple as that. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but I think that would be um, definitely successful. And I think to get there, though, safety is one of the biggest um, issues, I think, that people often worry about in that context. Um, and then sensing. Um, putting these sensors, I think, as I've mentioned, in on these devices is, is a big challenge in and of itself. So not just, you know, how do we uh, display the feedback back to the user, but how do we even sense what information, what forces that we want to provide um, to them? you know, and putting these in these types of instruments, I think is is a challenge and maybe a materials challenge as well. Tanya, to what extent have randomized control trials been utilized in medical haptics? Um, it seems to me that there would be uh, a big risk in either the haptic group or the control group. If you look at, at outcomes, I'm not sure which direction it would go, but what's the status? Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't think I don't know exactly if the what the status is on that. But yes, I agree. I think that there it, it is a challenge in the in the medical field to do any you know types of those sorts of studies, um, you know, on actual human patients. So I think that adds another layer of a challenge to getting these things actually um, in use. Right. Other other questions, other um, questions that maybe originate from the panelists and not the moderators. Something that's come up that uh, you'd that you'd like to ask each other. I guess we've been doing this all along, but uh, any additional ones? I'll ask a question, maybe to the benefits of the the students in the room, how did you get into the field of haptics? Because I know I stumble into it. Like as somebody that started as a specialized in organic electronics, I never imagined that I would work on haptics. I actually had to Google the name when it was first mentioned to me, not that long ago. <laughs> That's a great question. I actually had it on my list. Um, but I forgot to mention it when I introduced the, uh, the roundtable introduction. Well, I guess I'll start. It's an easy one. Um, so, um, you know, haptics is, uh, is still not in Microsoft Word. It's still a word that is kind of highlighted red, right? So that was an interesting, an interesting beginning for me. I think many other colleagues are over the years We've been able to exchange on this observation. So it's still a kind of an obscure field, but in reality, uh, I, I started doing some haptics work, work before knowing a lot about haptics. Uh, it was in my master thesis that, you know, I was working in a rehab engineering group and uh, we were studying ways where you can uh, guide movements uh, in uh, 2D using vibrotactile feedback. And uh, I had some fun combining, you know, motion capture with the uh, 
a bracelet that would vibrate in four directions. And, you know, was my first application of some 3D geometry that I was studying in, you know, robotics classes. And uh, that's how I did my first project. And then I did the PhD in a slightly tangential field uh, in rehab, uh, rehab robotics. And then I did some more work uh, with Marcy during my postdoc at Rice. And so for me, haptics has been in the context of, uh, you know, uh, being able to communicate, communicate information to a user to achieve uh, some, to support some motor function. And that's been the theme all along. So it, it kind of made sense. <laughs> Great. Um... Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I certainly did not know the word, nor did really anybody uh, outside of the field of psychology. Um, uh, when I, when I got started, I was, my PhD work was in, was in robotics in particular, looking at, at how to get robots to interact um, physically with, with the environment for things like parts assembly, et cetera. And when I started uh, as a faculty member, uh, <clears throat> robotics was kind of, on a downward trajectory. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll work on, on remote manipulation um, and um, and decided I wanted to look at scaled, um, so larger uh, sort of master or smaller slave manipulator for things like surgery and started to develop, using my startup funds to develop the system. And we poured all our money into this master manipulator and ran out of money to build the the other one. And, and so we thought, well, we'll just simulate it. <laughs> And, and it turned out around that time, you know, a number of people were doing this and we had no name for what we were doing. Um, I remember talking about force reflecting kinesthetic displays, you know, and he had to string all these words together and it was pretty awful. The first time I ever heard the word um, haptic interface was from uh, Ken Salisbury, um, uh, who, uh, you know, was, was a, a real leader and instrumental in getting the field going. So uh, that was in the early 90s. Um, <clears throat> so uh, like everyone else here, I guess, sort of stumbled into it. And you, you have a much more interesting answer than mine. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Tanya. Yeah, uh, so mine was in the context actually of online learning and education. Um, I did my PhD with Alison Okamura and we were looking at creating haptic devices um, to send to students so they could use them in uh, learning in an online course. Um, and sort of, you know, what role does the sense of touch sort of play in education and various um, ideas and concepts that we can learn. Um, and so that's how I sort of, I guess, stumbled into it a bit. Um, Thanks, Tanya. Charles? So, um, Darren probably has a good idea of how I stumbled into it, considering I stumbled into it in his lab. Um, so my PhD was actually on understanding how tree frogs adhere to surfaces underwater, and they have these patterns. And if you look at your own finger, it also has patterns. So really, <laughs> you have a lot in common with a tree frog. Um, but really, I think it's um, a great I think it's really great because you know, I was coming from this basic science background and I, I really, although I found it very interesting and very um, important, I had this hard time seeing how I would, you know, could have an impact on someone's life um, or more translatability. 
Um, so getting into this touch aspects, interfacing with people directly. I mean, we have human subjects touching our materials. Um, I think it's a really um, amazing like field to be working in, um, just because you get to start from start from molecules and end up with a person, <laughs> um, and validate your materials with uh, human subjects. Um, so. And I think it is almost like just falling into it. It's like, here's a mechanics problem that I may have some translatability into. Um, but I think there's a whole wide world of possibilities, um, more than more than with frogs, I guess, <laughs> but with people. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. I'm going to turn this on the moderators as well. Uh, ben? Yeah, for me, it's, uh, well, I come from, well, thanks, Darren. I actually come from, uh, uh, the opposite, well, one side of the equation, which is the sensory aspect. And I was trying to mimic, uh, while well, I was working with Zanan in uh, Stanford, uh, trying to mimic uh, certain aspects of the human touch and how the receptors work. And so so, so then, uh, so I then I started my own group and, uh, in, in Singapore, and I've uh, been also furthering the idea of uh, pushing receptor level research to more systems research, where we look at asynchronous systems and how we can get a lot of data from the sensors that we're developing very quickly to a nervous system like that can operate a bit more uh, neomorphically like the brain. And so we've learned a lot from Johansson and he was, it was wonderful. I actually get to, get to meet him uh, in, in person just right before uh, you know 2020 and uh, it was really nice. Uh, you know, he sh also shared the famous video. And I, I think that uh, understanding the neuroscience really helped me uh, kind of move along in this trajectory towards the other side of the equation, which we are talking about, which is the actuation side. Um, because I think that the richness of a human experience is really both sensory and, and actuation. Uh, and so, so right now we are looking at how we can develop uh, asynchronicity into the haptic interface, right? Because we now have an asynchronous sensor that can mimic the nervous system, the human nervous system. And we've done it at, and we, we talked about one millisecond, right? In fact, we now can go to sub millisecond, right? In fact, uh, nan nanosecond time scales of differentiating between different receptors from one of the systems we developed. Um, and that's why I really uh, was very thankful there and kind of put together this symposium uh, where we can see how we can put this two together, right? And the sensory and the actuation. And I think right now for me, I'm personally very interested uh, because I still see a lot of challenges mentioned earlier in terms of uh, how fast we can actually actuate and also the kind of energy density we can program into these materials. And, and it's just a rich field and I'm very happy uh, to continue this. And it's, it's a bit early for me in terms of haptics. I'm actually uh, very new, but I think it was uh, somewhat directed coming from a sensory and a neuro, um, neuromorphic background uh, to look at how we can bring some of these concepts into haptics. And also uh, along the way, I've also met a lot of uh, surgeons actually uh, who actually invented robotic surgery, uh, some of the endoscopic robots. And they're also saying that it's a big challenge now because they cannot feel uh, these tissues. And for them, you know, their training has always been tactile. They actually uh, use their hands to operate. And then from there, they kind of have to now have a less able, uh, they actually are somewhat paralyzed in that aspect when they use uh, surgical robots. And so, so there's a big gap and I'm, I'm uh, very happy to kind of work in this field. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I will say like, I will say I'm a noob in, in haptics and uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, very excited to meet all these, uh, all of you pioneers in this field. Great, thanks Ben. Uh, Yeet. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Darren. And I, so 
very, very tangentially. I think I first got a, caught a glimpse of it through Marcy's class at Rice, and I saw haptics being used, but I deviated from that path for a decade until finally, after being a professor briefly, trying to make soft robots and focusing, as Laura has alluded to, this idea of like just how do we make things, make them better, make them more fine resolution. So thinking a lot about lithography. So I was all about manufacturing. And to Charles's point, I worked with Gecko adhesives and Gecko inspired adhesives. So I was really excited to see your all's talks and Ed's too about like all these interfacial uh, models that I hadn't looked at in since my PhD. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is useful. Um, but I, I stumbled into it at, at Facebook again because they needed ways to make things. And I learned a lot about why they want to, to make things kind of big integrated systems. And honestly, uh, it's, the, it's amazing to see just how deeply the academic community is thinking about the problems in every kind of like every level, all the way down to the molecular is, is really inspiring. And I also would like to thank the panelists for, for sharing and, and um, for their intellectual curiosity. This is, this is super exciting. Yeah. Thanks. And Darren, actually also it's your I turn. I forgot to mention, I mean, one of the things that also inspired me was uh, the, the movie Ready Player One. Uh, I was just thinking, wow, that's really cool if we can actually have some kind of suit like that. So, Darren, it's your it's your turn. How did you how did you how did you make Charles do all this haptics work? So, uh, Laura, you started us off. I just want to make sure you're satisfied with your uh, your response. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe it maybe it wasn't a response. You should give a full response. I, I, a full response. Um, I, yeah, I, I started like as a pure organic synthesis person and I was making molecules and I I realized like like towards the end of my PhD that I was having more fun characterizing the molecules and doing something with them and making materials rather than molecules. Uh, and so when I when it was time to choose a postdoc, it's like, okay, I want to do something more engineering-like. I want to apply my chemistry skills in an engineering lab. And so that's when I reached out to, to Darren and went to do a, a postdoc in this group. And that's really when the haptic stuff started. It's like, okay, we, we want to do these things. Uh, there is only one other chemist in the group and he's working on something else. Uh, and we want to work on haptics. How do we do that? And how, what materials can we make to, to trigger sensations? So it was it was a fun fun journey into like electrotactile actuators and uh, trying to make actuators and failing <laughs> like remember those like days in the lab with Charles and like we were trying to like reproduce some of those EAPs and it's like we can never integrate this in the glove and there's no chance it's like just not practical and it's like impossible to pattern and it's like it takes five days to make one little strip and then you wire it and it doesn't work and so that's really what inspired like my my research now is like I want to make materials that you can use like you use PDMS like pour it and wire it and and go uh, but it has like the resolution that you need for fine touch and that answers like really fun questions also so, awesome thanks, Darren. thanks Laura um, 
So I'm embarrassed that I didn't come to haptics until relatively late. I think 2015 was when I first started thinking about doing um, experiments in touch. And um, I'm going to blame part of it on the columnarization of the way we do research and the way that uh, that disciplines are arranged and the conferences that we go to, um, because MRS has historically had a huge presence in soft robotics and flexible electronics and stretchable electronics. And basically all of it interfaces with the skin. But, um, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of haptics research being talked about at at MRS. And um, my original training is as a uh, sort of synthetic organic chemist, more physical organic chemist. Now I did my PhD with George Whitesides and we did a lot of surface modifications and, um, and uh, stamping and embossing and molding and stuff. And, uh, and I, I thought that the physical organic approach would be a good uh, tool to learn a little bit about how um, how we uh, how we perceive objects. Um, when I started my job, I started teaching uh, the course on intermolecular and surface forces, which was assigned to me because the previous uh, faculty member took a job elsewhere. And then I was teaching about friction, adhesion, and lubrication, never having taken a course in it myself. Um, and uh, and and I, I I was thinking that the that the the idea of making small changes to molecular structure as a means of understanding something about uh, something about tactile perception uh, might be a useful um, uh, uh, arrow in the quiver of the field. Um, and at the same time, I was involved in the Center for Wearable Sensors, which is kind of an, an industry academic consortium that we have at UCSD. And it was all focused on the sensing part and very little of it was focused on, um, you know, basically physio physiological sensations out to the electronics rather than sensations from the electronics to the body. So uh, there was a, a way to, uh, to integrate haptics into some of our projects through that collaboration. We had a, a, a um, collaborator, Benjamin Bratton in visual arts that came to me with an idea of we should apply to the seed funding for, you know, putting, uh, uh, using haptic effects in VR art displays, which I thought was, was really interesting. Um, and, uh, and the last, uh, and, and, and the last thing I, I would say is a really woo woo hippie Marin County sort of thing, where I used to do a lot of like, uh, open awareness meditation. I'm not a good meditator, but I, I do it fairly frequently. And I just became really interested in appreciating uh, just sensations that I was all feeling and kind of wanted to, uh, you know, the, the sand on your feet and so on. Uh, and I just, uh, I thought it, I thought it would be interesting to study it uh, scientifically. And then, um, and, uh, but, but using the, the tools that that I had in the language that I had, which was atoms and molecules and one carbon homologations and cross-linking reactions and stuff like that. Um, so I thought that that, you know, 
could be a useful uh, a thing to add. And thankfully, around that time, um, I was joined by uh, a couple of uh, postdocs and graduate students in the group at the time who were, who were really interested in sort of this post-tenure pie-in-the-sky sort of uh, new research direction. Uh, and, uh, and it's been one of the, uh, the most uh, fulfilling uh, project areas in our, our group's, uh, our group's uh, uh, out, uh, portfolio, let's say. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm very happy to have uh, found the community and to introduce uh, members of the community to the material science uh, community and chemistry communities as well. I think there's a lot that we can uh, teach each other and contribute. Um, so uh, my long-winded answer has taken us all the way up to the end of the uh, the time and the recording is, is going to, to uh, stop soon. So I want to thank uh, all of the moderators and panelists and attendees for staying with us the entire time. This is great audience retention. <laughs> we even have more than we did when we started. Um, and we will actually have part two of this discussion tomorrow uh, morning um, at, uh, at 11, uh, 30 on the East Coast, 8.30 on the West Coast. And those of you in attendance who will be panelists or moderators, I would encourage you to log on right at the beginning if you can, and we can sort of have a smooth transition from, uh, from uh, haptic materials to haptic uh, wearables, um, which are the topics for tomorrow. So thank you again, everybody. Uh, this was absolutely fantastic. Thanks. So I just wanted to plug, so for next year, um, be on the lookout for a similar related symposium. Um, so Part two we'll of materials and haptics. <laughs> yes. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good night. Thank you again, Darren. Good night. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.